you. Good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? Good Thanksgiving? Good, good, good. Same for here. What's up, Mercy Youth? You guys say hi to Mercy Youth over there, our teens. They're in the building today, as always, hanging out with me. Thank you guys for being here. They got the donuts. And as always, I like to give my plug, right? If you like donuts, right, if you like to get a donut today, feel free to go get one. Just please fill out on your connect card that you also like to volunteer with them, okay? Sounds good? Volunteering Mercy Youth is so much fun. All you got to do is have a love for teenagers and want to talk to them about Jesus and potentially play some crazy, really fun games as well. Sounds good. So that's my plug. Uh, really excited to be here with you all. Closing out this Family Matters series, which I've been, I've been loving so far. Have you guys loved this series? Family Matters, studying the book of James. And I love the title, Family Matters. Um, and I remember the meeting that we came up with that. And um, Family Matters is a really important show in my history uh, because I remember when, when, when my family, my mom and, and, my, and I and my brother first moved to the States in the mid-90s, um, shows like Family Matter, Family Matters pretty much taught me how to speak English. Right? We came from Brazil in the mid-90s, and my mama, she's right there. God bless her. She uh, worked two jobs and went to, 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 to school, so she was always, you know, doing something. Rightly so, mama, I love you. Right? So because of that, me and my brother, we got a lot of screen time. Right? We got a lot of screen time before screen time was a thing. And I remember shows like Family Matters, Full House, Keenan and Kel, right? Fresh Prince of Bel-Air probably was my favorite one. But shows like that helped me integrate to American culture. And little by little, I was noticing that as I'm watching these shows, I'm understanding more and more of the English language. And I'm getting more of the jokes. And so one day I'm watching, I'm like, oh, okay, I think I speak English now. That's awesome, right? <laughs> so Family Matters was definitely one of those shows that kind of marked my story. And I'm thankful for shows like that. It was really funny, and I need to go through a rewatch, right? Family Matters. Amen. So let's get into it today. I'm closing out the book of James. We try to do chapters 4 and 5, so pray for me. It's <laughs> a lot to cover. Uh, so let's pray right now, and we're going to dive right into it. So Lord, we love you. Holy Spirit, come. God, I ask you right now that you open up our hearts to hear from you. God, I ask you that you would speak through me, that you, uh, I thank you for the privilege of speaking your word. And I ask you, God, that you would use this time right now. God, we thank you that we get to do this. We thank you that we get to be here together. And we ask you for your presence. Do what you want to do today. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so going right into it. The book of James is actually one of my favorite books in the Bible. I love the book of James. And I actually think that the book of James is a great apologetics book. Right? Apologetics, big word. Apologetics means like it's a defense for the faith. Right? I think the book of James is a book that can prove that Christianity is real. Because check it out. As Pastor Gary said in the, in the first couple of weeks, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Right? He grew up with Jesus. Jesus was his older brother. Now, how many of you here in this room have an older brother? How many of you here in this room have another brother? Okay, check this out. How many of you can imagine worshiping your older brother? <laughs> How many of you here in this room can imagine praying to your older brother? Oh, that's tough, right? I am one of the older brothers, and I, man, I, I, I do not fit that bill. How many of you here think that your brother, that your older brother, that your older sibling could be the Son of God, the Messiah, Savior of the world? It's tough, right? 
That's a tough sell if you grew up with somebody, if you have an older sibling, you get to see them every day, you probably shared a room with that person, you know, <laughs> you know you've gone through some things, and then to eventually believe that your older brother, that your older sibling is the savior of the world, that's a tough sell. And James actually was a doubter for, for a lot of his life, for a lot of Jesus' life, actually, right? He was like, nah, I don't know about this guy. I don't know about my brother. What's my brother on? My, what, what is he doing? But man, when Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day, he showed up to James. And he was like, okay, that's right. You are who you say that you are. You're the man. And I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. And that's what we see with James. That's what we see with James. James went on to become the leader of the church in Jerusalem and then ended up actually martyred. He died for his older brother Jesus. If that's not proof of our faith, I don't know what is, that a younger sibling <laughs> would eventually believe that his older brother is the savior of the world. You see, Jesus could have fooled, like, he could have fooled anybody, but he can't fool family. He couldn't fool his brother. He couldn't fool family. And that's why family matters. Jesus, <laughs> his brother, his mother believed that he was who he said that he was. And James believed it enough that he went on to lead the church and eventually die for it. Family matters. I love it. So a little bit of the context of James, right? James is the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was under the Roman rule. Uh, there was lots of, 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 of discussions of of. of almost fighting between the way of Jesus and, and Judaism and this and that. But James was the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. And what I love about James is that um, he is, um, how can I say this? He's not from Minnesota, right? If you read the book of James, like, okay, yeah, this guy is not one of us. Like, he is not Minnesota nice at all. He's kind of direct into the points, if you noticed, reading the first few chapters here. He's telling it like it is. He's going straight to the point. He's not, <laughs> you know, he's not passive-aggressive. He's direct, right? And the book of James is primarily a book of wisdom. It's meant for discipleship, correction, instruction on how to live. And it's primarily a book of wisdom. And, and I think James has two big sources for his teaching right the first source of the book of James I believe to be the book of Proverbs and it's probably a book that James and his older brother Jesus probably grew up studying together right they probably both grew up learning the scriptures learning the book of Proverbs and that's one of one of the sources that James really pulls from and then the second source that James pulls from is the Sermon of the Mount which if you guys don't know the Sermon on the Mount, that's cool. Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew's chapters 5 through 7. And is Jesus's, one of Jesus' most famous, longest teachings is the Sermon of the Mount found in Matthew's 5 through 7. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is given instructions on how to, how to follow the Christian life, how to be more like Christ. This is the, it's amazing. Actually, I'm going to give you guys this already. Your next steps for today, your next steps for the whole week, I want you to read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthews 5 through 7. I want you to read the Sermon on the Mount and check this out. I want you to do a little Bible study. Do cross-references between the Sermon on the Mount and the book of James. What that means is read one and then go to the other and try to find where they connect. Try to find little, the little treasures, right, that are found in one from the other. It's beautiful. I, I, I'm going to do this Bible study this week, and I encourage you to do the same thing. So that's your next steps for the week is to read the Sermon on the Mount and connect it with the book of James. Can you guys do that? 
right? So you can write it down already there on your connect card that you're going to do that, right? So yeah, so James pulls from the book of Proverbs and then also from the teachings of his older brother found in Matthews 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mounts. Let's do a little recap. The first week, chapter 1 of the book of James, Pastor Gary um, kicked off the series and he covered the topic of anger. James begins the book talking about anger, and, and I, th I thought that it was a fantastic sermon. Chapter 2 um, is actually one of my favorite sermons um, so far is, is uh, when Pastor Gary talked about the faith without works. You guys remember that one? I love how Pastor Gary broke down the, the theological debates between James and Paul and all of that. It was a fantastic sermon, but, but the, the basis of that one was James chapter um, 2 was the faith without works. Last week, Jesse did a great job talking about the power of our words and how we communicate with each other and the things that we say. And today, we're going to close out by studying chapters 4 and 5. And again, have mercy on me. There's a lot to cover. I, <laughs> I might talk fast. Okay? Y'all with me? Let's get into it. James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme to kill, scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask God for it, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what gives you pleasure. <laughs> it's 10 stuff. James jumps right into it. And he's saying, why are you guys fighting? What is wrong with you? When I think of this verse, I think of, uh, of a meme from one of my favorite shows. Um, and it's the phrase, why are you the way that you are? Right? You guys remember that? If you know, you know. But James pretty much looks at them saying, why are you the way that you are? Why are you fighting? Why is there so ch it's jealousy and scheming? You know, you, you, you want what other people have. You try to fight to get it. And, and then you don't ask God for it. Even when you ask God for it, you do it wrong because you're only asking God for selfish things. To fulfill your own pleasures but not caring about the needs of others. Why are you the way that you are, church? This is James going right at it. Right, and then <laughs> verse 4, and verse 4 is where we're going to park the car here for a while. Verse 4, he says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be friends of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. That's intense. That verse, do we got that verse up? No? Okay, that verse this is James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterers, he says, starts off strong. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And then if you're thinking, what? He goes, I say it again. <laughs> if you want to be friends with the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Now, here's the, here's the problem. I mean, I don't understand this verse, and this verse kind of offends me. You know why? I love the world. I do. I, I love the world. I love culture. I love music, arts, food. I love comedy. I love music and movies and TV shows. I love the world. I want to travel the world. I want to see more of the world. And you know, I love the world. I love sports. I love the World Cup. 
Like, I'm Brazilian. I love the World Cup. Have you guys been watching the World Cup? I love the World Cup. Did you guys see Brazil play on Thursday before Thanksgiving dinner? Did you guys see that? Did you guys see the amazing goal that my boy Ishaoso did? I got a picture right there, right? That was fantastic. Right? The ball came. He like did a little kung fu kick. I love that. That's, I love the World Cup. I'm so excited. Brazil plays some more. Thank you, Garrett, for the shout out. Right? I love the World Cup. I, you know what I mean? So when I, when I see a verse like this, it, like, it offends me because I love the world. So I'm like, James, what are you talking about? And speaking of the World Cup, like, I love the World Cup, but I also know that there's many reasons to not like or support or even be against the World Cup, too. I know, <laughs> I, I know a lot of the history of the World Cup. I know that FIFA is a corrupt organization. Like, even the fact that we're having the World Cup right now in Qatar, right, not during the summer, but now in, in, in the fall and in the winter is because um, Qatar bribed FIFA with lots of oil money to get the World Cup there. And even the World Cup there in Qatar right now, there's so many human rights violations by the way they treat the LGBTQ community, the way they treat women, and the, the stadiums that look amazing, they were all built basically by slave labor, they got migrant workers, held their, their, their passports and say, you can't leave until you do this. And thousands of people died to build those stadiums. So if you're here and you're like, man, I can't, like, why is Leo talking about the World Cup? I can't support that. I, I understand you. I feel you. Right? And I, and I, I am not happy about those things either. I, I know it. But, but there's this tension that I hold that I like, I love the World Cup because I am Brazilian. But also there's this tension of, man, FIFA is... The worst. But I still can't help but love the World Cup because, to be honest, the World Cup is like part of my history. Like my, you guys seen the movie Inside Out? Do you know like the core memories thing, right? One of my core memories is by watching Brazil win the World Cup in 1994 when the World Cup was held here in the United States of America. I... Brazil, the game was against Italy. The game was 0-0 when he went to penalty kicks. And, um, and I'll never forget that they actually got a little clip here for you guys. The clip is found on YouTube. It's from the 90s. So, but it's also in Portuguese because I want you guys to feel what I felt. Okay? Check out. Roll the clip. Look at the guy doing cartwheel. That's Pele right there. Pele was one of those guys. Enjoy it. Enjoy it, people. Brazil, zil, zil, zil. Anyway, that's that. Give it up for Brazilian joy, people. Right, that was a legendary um, Brazilian announcer, Galvão Bueno, calling the, and I remember those words, like, seared into my memory. He was hugging Pele, the greatest soccer player of all time. I know, no, no, Pele is the greatest of all time, right? And that was a moment of Brazilian joy, and I remember like it was yesterday. My dad, I was with my dad, and he took me to a party at a friend's house, and in that party, when Roberto Baggio, the Italian, their best player, when he kicked that ball, and went over the goalpost on the printer kicks, and Brazil won. 
everybody went crazy. And I remember one of my dad's friends, he literally picked me up and started throwing me. My head was like heat in the ceiling. He was like, remember when you were eight years old, Brazil was tetracampeão, which means four-time champion. And I still remember it. I have never forgot that moment. It's amazing. Right? So the World Cup, every time I think of the World Cup, when the World Cup comes together, I think of my culture, I think of my family, I think of the streets. Right? We got pictures there of the Brazilian streets. This is what happens in Brazil during the World Cup. The streets become all colorful, green and yellow. Right? We got a couple more pictures. I remember doing that as a kid, just, you know, painting the streets, how everybody comes together. When I think of the World Cup, I think of this. Right, I think, of, I think of this beauty, I think of the memories of my family, I think of my country, right, I think of the other countries that come together and the, the explosion of culture that we get to see when it comes to the World Cup, while holding intention that FIFA, great video game, but really bad, corrupt organization. Does that make sense? In the same way, I love the world while holding intention that the world can also be a very evil place, that there are many injustices, that there's many things that we don't have time to talk about all of them, but that the world is an evil, evil place and, and can be an evil place, and the ways of the world, the ways that, you know, there's, there's, there's so much bad, and so I hold that intention of loving the world, but also being aware of its negativities, its flaws, its dangers, its, its evil side. And check it out. I believe that Jesus loves the world too. I love the world and I believe that Jesus loves the world. Matter of fact, the most famous verse in all of scripture, right? John 3, 16, we can put it up on the board. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But he... For God so loved the world, right? That's John 3, 16. And then you guys remember the next verse, John 3, 17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, but rather to save it. Jesus loved the world so much that he was willing to die for it. Jesus loved the world. I love the world. I believe that we should love the world too. So back to James, what does it mean that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? What does that verse mean if we believe that, that we, we, we live in this world and we're supposed to appreciate that Jesus actually loves the world? What does that mean? Right? So let's do a little bit of a breakdown here of the, the world, the, of the words that James is using, right, N.T. Wright puts that when James is talking about the world, he's specifically talking about the way the world behaves, the behaviors of the world, the ways of the world, right? Specifically, you know, in the first, the first three chapters, there's a lot of it there, but even in the first few, few verses of chapters four, he's talking about fighting, greed, envy, jealousy, evil desires, selfishness. Right, those are the ways of the world, the way that the world behaves. This theologian, Martha Elmore Keish, um, she says in her commentary on the book of James that the, in particularly the world that James indicates here is actually the Roman Empire who was ruling over the 
ruling over Jerusalem, ruling over Israel, ruling over the church, right? So when James, it could be that when James is talking about the world, he's, he's talking about the, the Roman Empire and all the atrocities, all the, the evil ways that they were governing during that time. You see, and what I like to picture too is that this world, the way of the world that James is talking about is actually in, in direct contrast to the way of Jesus found in the Sermon of the Mounts. The way of Jesus that James is, is, is talking about here that's pulling from the Sermon of the Mount. Does that make sense? So in my mind, they're both in contrast. The ways of the world and the ways of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon of the Mounts. James goes on to say, verse 5, don't you think that scriptures has no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he placed within us should be faithful to him. See, when we're talking about friendship, right, friendship with the world, friendship speaks of loyalty, of allegiance, unity. James is saying that God is passionate about our relationship with him and he's calling us to be faithful to the way of Jesus and not friendship with the world. Right, there's this element in there of, of you know, the first, the, the first word that he says when talking about friendship with the world, he actually calls people you adulterers. Like, you're cheating on me. You're, 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 you're not being faithful to our relationship. And, and he's specifically talking about friendships with the world, right, compared to friendship with the way of Jesus. And to me, this reminds me of middle school BFF drama, right? I'm a youth pastor, so I experienced a lot of this. But do you guys remember in middle school how big of a deal it was to who was going to be your best friend? Right? You can only have one BFF, right? You can only have one best friend forever. If you have multiple best friends forever, now that's a problem, right? If you tell somebody that, hey, you're my best friend, and then you go say, no, actually, you're my best friend. Next thing you know, you got drama. You got middle school drama. And this reminds me a little bit of it. It was like you can't be best friends with Jesus and then also be best friends. Again, allegiance, unity, following the ways of the world. They're, they're incompatible, and you got to choose one. Does that make sense? So we're going to get practical here. What are three ways that we can choose Jesus and break up with the ways of the world, even while living in the world and in, enjoying the, all the beautiful things that the world has to offer, okay? So verse 7, I think James give us three action steps right away. In James chapter 4, verse 7, he says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. So let's break it down. The first way that we can break up with the world is through humility. By humbling ourselves. You see, I think one of the markers of the ways of the world is pride. The ways of the world, is, I think, is marked by pride. Meaning, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, I can handle this, I can do life, I don't need God, I don't need community, I know what's best for me, I'm going to do me, I'm going to do what I want, and there's that pridefulness that comes with it, does that make sense? Like we can do, I can pull myself up by my bootstraps, I am good enough, I am smart enough, you know, like there's that pridefulness, and I believe that pridefulness is a marker of the ways of the world and is opposite to the way of Jesus. Verse 6, James says that, and he gives, he, Jesus, gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourself before God. 
I believe one of the ways that we can break up, that we can follow Jesus and not follow the ways of the world is by humility, is by recognizing our need for him. It's like, sure, like we are fearfully and wonderfully made and, and, and we're awesome, but we also have a deep need of God, a deep need to follow him. He is our leader, not ourselves. We need him. We recognize our weaknesses and say, come, Holy Spirit, give Jesus, we need your grace, we need your help, we need your power to make it through. I believe one of the ways that we break up with the ways of the world is through humility, by humbling ourselves before God, acknowledging our need for him so that he can give us strength, so that he can give us his grace. Amen? Second way that James tells us here is by resisting the devil. Right, he says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So let's talk about resistance. James calls us to resist the devil, resist the ways of the world. So question is, how do we resist the devil? How do we put up that resistance? Well, I believe there's, there's a few ways. Um, one of the first ways that I think, I, when I, when I think about when I think about this verse is Jesus Right when he was tempted in the desert, right, right after Jesus was baptized, he went to the desert and the devil came there and tested him. Do you guys remember that? What did Jesus do? Jesus quoted scripture at the devil. You know, the devil was like, hey, why don't you do this? And he was like, it is written. Right, and the devil would shut up. And then he came at him again. He came at him three times. And Jesus, every single time, defeated him. Jesus defeated the devil in the desert with the book of Deuteronomy, right? That's what Jesus did. Jesus defeated the devil in the deserts with the book of Deuteronomy. So I believe that one of the ways that we can resist the devil is actually by getting this, the word of God in us. When was the last time that we've read the book of Deuteronomy? When was the last time I've read the book of Deuteronomy? I don't remember. Pastor Gary, maybe our next series in January, book of Deuteronomy? Let's do it. Maybe? No? Okay. <coughs> Right, but Jesus, if Jesus defeated the devil by using the book of Deuteronomy in the desert, what are we doing? Do we have the word of God in us? Do we know scripture? Can we stand on scriptures when trials come against us? I believe that studying the scripture is an act of resistance. Now, I also think that, <coughs> like, sorry, that gathering together in community to, to worship, to serve, to, to do small groups, I believe that that is also an act of resistance against the way of the world. What do you say? I'm taking time out of my day to go be with the people of God, doing godly things, doing things like, like, like worshiping, singing songs to Jesus, learning about Jesus, that we get to serve together and, and do small groups together. That is also an act of resistance. And I also believe that prayer, specifically getting prayed for, is an act of resistance. Meaning when you feel that attacks are upon you, when you humble yourself and you say, hey, I need prayer. Can someone pray for me? I believe that that is also an act of resistance, which you're acknowledging that you are under attack and you don't have to do it by yourself. You can get help. That is also an act of resistance. So right now, even as you're sitting right there, I want you to think about if you have any prayer requests, if you're going through something right now, if you're going through an attack, write on your connect card and people will pray for you. The prayer team on Wednesday nights, they will look at all the prayer requests, again, with no names, right? So we don't want everybody to know your business, but they will pray for all of those prayer requests. The staff, we pray for your prayer request. Right, and also at the end of the service, if you're, if you're going through something and you need prayer today, there's a, there's a ministry team here ready to pray for you. So getting prayed for is also an act of resistance. The last thing that James says is drawing near to God. 
right? He says, humble yourselves before the Lord, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then he says, come close to God and he will come close to you. Meaning, if you take a step to reach out to God, if you try to connect with him, if you, try, if you take one step towards him, he's going to come running after you. And again, I wish we had more time to talk about this, but, but the spiritual disciplines, what do you do to connect with God? What are the ways that you connect with God? And they're different for, for all of us, and, and we talk a lot about this here in Mercy, but how do you connect with God? Or even a better question, are you making space to connect with God in your life right now? Is there a time and a place? Are you making space to reach out, to draw near to God? Thank you. <laughs> to draw near to God as he draws near to you. Again, the one of the ways, the three ways that we break up the world is by humility, by resistance, and by drawing near to God. Amen? Thank you, Elliot. All right. So, <laughs> we made it through seven verses in the book of James, and, um, and we got to get going here. So, in summary, the rest of James chapter 4 and 5, <laughs> James calls us to not speak evil with each other, to not criticize one another, to not worry and to have patience. He calls us to be careful with our relationship with money and the dangers of greed, not to make any false promises, but let our yes be yes and our no be no. If you have the Bible, if you have a Bible in front of you and you're looking at James, you can see all of those topics there in the rest of James chapter 4, the beginning of James chapter 5. By the way, all of these, all of the stuff that James is talking about are all things that can be found again in the Sermon of the Mount. Let's do your next step. Let's do your little Bible study for the week. Right? So those are themes that James touches on the rest of the chapter. And then he closes out James chapter 5 by leading us into prayer. James chapter 5, verse 13 and 14 and 15. He says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing song. You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such prayer offering faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed, committed any sins, you will be forgiven. So James, he closes out his book in chapter 5 by leading people into prayer. He's saying, are you going through hard times? Pray. Are things good? Are you going through some good times? Praise. Sing praises. Are you sick? Are you not doing well, not just physically sick, which by the way, there's a lot of, you know, physical sickness going on right now, but also like, are, 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 is there something, has the world, the ways of the world, have they affected you? Have they damaged you? Has the sin of the world, the ways of the world infected you in a way? Call people to pray. You don't have to do it alone. Get help. Get the elders of the church to come and pray for you. Get faithful people to pray for you. Get somebody to anoint you with oil. Get therapy if you need therapy. Get help. You don't have to do this life on your own. James ends the book by leading in us in that. Again, I just covered so much. I would encourage you to go back and read James chapter 4 and 5. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Let's do some Bible study. But right now, in closing... Right, again, so think about our theme here, friendship with the world. You know, what does that mean in comparison to friendship with God? I, I think of my, my favorite verse of all time, my favorite chapter in the Bible, and my favorite set of verses where Jesus, um, again, Jesus loves the world. And he says it in this verse, and I believe that in this verse, he's actually inviting us to have a friendship with him. 
Let's go to John chapter 15, verse 12 through 17. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples before he got arrested at the garden. This is after the Last Supper. He's speaking with his friends. He's speaking with his disciples that had just spent years following him. He says this, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. He says, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruits. Fruit that will ask. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. It's the word of Jesus. He's calling us to love each other. That is his command. Then he says, greater love has no one than this. That's to lay down your life in love for someone else. That is the greatest act of love. And then he went and did it. He went and proved it. He didn't just talk about it. He lived and died about it. And then he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And his command is to love one another. He says, I just don't want servants, servants, meaning you clock in and clock out. You follow me because of a title of a position. He's like, I don't want servants. I want friends. And the way that you are my friend is by doing what I command. And his command is simple. It's to love each other. It's to love the world. It's to love people. To love the people closest to you. To love your families. That's where things get real first. It's easy to love theoretical people out there. It's hard to love the people closest to you sometimes. Jesus is calling us to love each other. To love our families. Because family matters. Amen?